Michaela S. Cox. What an inspiration. She, she was born blind at seven months old. They don't know what happened, but she got some of her eyesight back. She's still legally blind uh, within those definitions, can't drive, etc. cetera. But um, she's a woman of faith, believes her spirituality helped. Uh, she's written nine books and she's got, as far as I can see, a hundred more in her. Absolutely inspiring. Uh, she's 44 years old right now. She doesn't mind saying, but her latest book, The Inspiration, she calls 38 DDD, triple D. At 38 years old, she had three terrible Ds. Uh, the death of her husband, the divorce that happened earlier, and of course her disability. But uh, she writes all her books, nonfiction, poetry, uh, a series called Take a Sip, about motherhood. She has two beautiful children. Her process in which she writes is fascinating with her uh, with her disability. I asked her about that right away. She wrote her first essay when she was seven years old. She was uh, <clears throat> excuse me. She was quite disappointed about the um, about the uh, burning of the flag judgment that came down with the uh, Supreme Court. So she decided she took it upon herself to write an essay. Just an inspiring woman. Really enjoyed having a conversation with her. I know you're going to enjoy it as well. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Joey Pins. People ask me, how did I lose 130 pounds? The quick answer is always discipline. I started my business, wasn't paying attention to my health, was eating too much, you know, drinking too much sweets. My daughter was born. Next thing I know, I'm pre-diabetic, I have hypertension. I knew something had to change. Discipline. I, like many of you, have faced many challenges in your career, in your family, in your life, in your faith. How did you attack them? How did you approach them? How did you solve them, hopefully? It all had to have some degree of discipline. I'm also asked, how did you found and start a tech business that lasted over 25 years? Discipline. I was committed to it, enjoyed technology. Didn't enjoy some aspects of it, but knew it was necessary. Discipline. Our podcast mission. How do we use discipline to better ourselves and society? Join me, please, as I talk to interesting people and discuss how they use discipline in their family, in their passion, in their careers, and how it helped them. Our podcast vision. Growth through learning from others. Joey Pins Discipline Conversations. It'll be light and serious. Join us, please. Thank you for consideration. Um, Kayla C. Cox. I'm sorry? I like to keep it easy. Good. Good. I do too. Michaela Cox, thank you so much for your time today. Very excited to talk to you. Is it difficult, not difficult? or easier or simpler, let's say, to be a, a, an excellent author as you are and to be legally blind? Uh, it's definitely challenging. I mean, it's always been challenging. I mean, this is just what I do. But I'm glad to be here, by the way. And thanks for having me and, you know, appreciate the opportunity. I mean, but I've been doing it. it it's I don't want to make it say that it's easy or simple. It's just I've been doing it literally my whole entire life as far as the visual impairment part and the legal blindness. So I've had, you know, 44 years of life times 365 plus, you know, since November 7th. So you do the math. I'm not a math person. So a long time to practice and figure things out, you know, so I don't know. I guess it's, I make it work. <laughs> You certainly make it work with an excellent, excellent body of work. So you were born completely blind, not not genetics. Your parents, your no siblings, your your kids didn't end up getting blind. It's just completely you. But then something happened at seven, where you re you regained some vision. At seven months old, yeah. Um, I'm not sure of your yeah. background or what your audience is open to, but um, I'm a woman of faith. I've been a believer for more than not, I was five years old. And so we believe in my family that God decided to um, heal me and allow me to have sight and see, although it be visually impaired or legally blind, as you may want to call it, which it is. So sure. anyway. So at seven months, do they know what happened? Do they know why? The doctors? No, I was, 
like I said, I'm 44, so that was back in 78. So I'm not saying we have all the answers now, but we sure as heck have a lot more answers now than we would have this side of almost 50 years ago. Oh, God, that sounds old. Uh, not really, but, you know, um, <laughs> is what it is, right? Um, so they didn't have any answers in. And like you said, there's no family genetics. There's no nothing. So it seemed like a fluke. Now, I've not actually seen the research myself, and I'm not medically background, but when we were living in New Hampshire in the year my daughter was born in 2010, um, my eye physician had said that there was new research at the time. I don't know all the academics behind it because I don't actually study it, that supposedly there's rare occurrences of potentially fetal stroke while in the womb, and that might have been what it was. I don't know. There's no way of proving it, but in any case, whether that was the source of it or not, it was still, in fact, a healing and a miracle, in my opinion, because I went from having no sight to seeing. So you're not going to be able to prove it. You're not going to be able to find out what started it or what didn't. So even if it was a, a rare fluke entrance, in, instance of a uh, fetal stroke, here we are. So I don't know if it right. really matters. Right. Right. Yeah, that's, I guess it, it ultimately doesn't really matter because you've written nine books. You've, uh, you know, we'll talk about that in, in a moment, uh, 38 DDD. And when did you get, I, I've heard you speak a bit about when you first kind of got the bug to write. Can you talk about that? What happened? Oh, gosh. I've been writing my a long time, longer than not. I've always written. Uh, even when I was a kid, I wrote, I mean, obviously what I write today is not what you write when you're eight years old. Please, dear God, I hope mm. not. That's going to be sad, but <laughs> especially after having a master's. But, um, anyway, um, I wrote, I was a little bit of an odd duck growing up. I, I wait till I tell you and you really think, dear God, you are odd woman. But um, I had this crazy idea in second grade. So I don't know, I was 86, 87. We were living in Texas at the time. Uh, I needed to write an editorial and speak my mind of what I was upset about. And I'm guessing it was around the time the Supreme Court made the decision. I'm guessing this is what it is because what I wrote on was the how I was uh, offended that you can burn the flag in this country and it be acceptable in First Amendment rights. I don't want to get into politics, but it, it was my first piece that I ever wrote is the point. So although I could get into politics, I, I don't mind it. But that's what I'm saying. I'm an odd duck. What What second grader? Number one, thanks for writing an editorial. Number two, is aware enough to pay attention to some political issue. And number three, thinks I need to write about it. So I don't know, whatever. And then I wrote my first poem in fourth grade, and then I've just always written. So, so in second grade, the teacher didn't give you an assignment. You just took it upon yourself to, to write an editorial? Mm-hmm. And oh, did yeah, you submit good. it to... <laughs> did you submit it to the paper to the to what did you do with this editorial they published it and i put it in my i have five series i write and one of them is politics and so the first book that came out in the political series in 2020 i actually put it in the beginning of the book the two political editorials i've written as kind of an homage and ode to the beginning of my political roots <laughs> And politics only kind of plays a small role. I mean, I guess we'll talk about it, but let's talk about that process. I mean, in the body of your of your books, I would say politics plays a smaller role, perhaps yeah, not in I your have, life. Yeah, I have five series that I write, and I'll probably add a six at some point. Not like I don't have enough work to do. Are you ever not writing? I didn't get a lot of writing done today. I had other stuff to do, but generally speaking, during the school year, because uh, I'm a mom, so my life kind of revolves around yeah. what's schedule is best for the kids and I can get more writing done when they're in school. But generally speaking, yes, um, August through May, as many days as I'm able in the morning time from I'm on central time, but 930, 10 o'clock, unless I have a meeting, I'm on the keyboard writing two or three hours a day. That's how I get them knocked out. So. So back when you're in second grade, it's about seven years old. You're upset about the decision the Supreme Court makes, and you decide to write this editorial. Now, yeah. now, do you outline first and then say, "I'm going to commit 500 words to this"? Do you have like what was your process then? I no, it's that you're eight. You just write what you want, and I don't even think it was that long. I think it was maybe 50 or 100 words. It's it's real short. But now I do. A lot of authors will have like a word count they shoot for each day. I don't know, depending on how they want to yeah. view it. But I personally. 
take, and there's nothing wrong with that because it's a good approach. It's just not what I do. Um, I know a lot of authors that do. I take a look at the project that I'm currently working on and I'll look at the table of contents and I'll go like, okay, this is supposed to have 40 chapters in it. Okay, we're in January. The kids will be in school, I don't know, 20 days out of this month. So if I write two chapters a day, then I should have this book rough draft knocked out in a month. That's how I do it, whatever it is. So I look at the project. But how do you know how, how, do you know how many chapters a book's going to have? I, I'm a planner. Now, granted, within the world of authoring and uh, publishing, you usually have two schools of thoughts of writers, either ones that are planned or ones that are like, yeah, I'm just going to see where it takes me. That's usually more in fiction, I think. I'm very much a planner. I like to know where I'm headed. I have to know where I'm starting first. Now, that is not to say that it cannot change a couple times over once I get into the project mm. if it needs to. But I have it laid out what I want to do and where I'm going first. And then I may change it a couple of times. <laughs> So is it an outline or like a storyboard? No, it's an outline because I do nonfiction. And so it's like a um, all the chapters and the table of contents is what I'm going off of. So I see. So you create the table of contents before writing them. Well, because it's like my outline and then that's what I – that ends up being the table of contents. Okay, so this is what mm. happens. So because I'm legally blind and I don't have a lot of time to write when I'm in school because that's literally my whole life when I'm in school – I was in grad school for five years because I had to go really slow and I did, you know, I can't do just one thing. So I did my master's and a graduate certificate. You should have heard what my undergraduate was. Um, <laughs> and I had all these ideas and all these percolations and brainstorms, but I couldn't deal with that because I was writing for all the professors. Oh, I was writing all right, but it was academia. It was all the history uh. papers and all the political science papers. But so I stuck away. All of my ideas, and then in 2016, when I was done with grad school, I said, I don't want to see a book. I don't want to hear the word book. I don't want nothing for a month. I had to, like, dump everything. I just I just want to relax after five years of work. And then my daughter, she was going into first grade that year, so I decided when she started school that I would take all these ideas I'd had for five years and organize them. And I did that. I thought, okay, well, since I don't have grad school work to do anymore, my son was still at home. He wasn't in school yet, so I'll trade nap time. And nighttime for grad school work for my writing time. And that's what I did. And then I started wow. fall of 2016 was the beginning of my motherhood series. And I had written two and a half books. And then in April, all hell broke loose in life. And so I had to figure all that out, which is part of the story that we'll get to, I'm quite sure, in a minute. And then it took me about a year to get back into writing. And since then, I've written, I don't know, I had done two and a half in New Hampshire so I finished the third at some point, and then I did another five, I think, anyway, something like that. And one's at the editor. I'm already trying to finish up one now. And, and anyway, one just got done at the formatter's office. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I do. And, and you decided to self-publish. Yeah, I tried getting into traditional publishing for a year, and it didn't work. So I thought, hmm, okay. All right, that's not going to work, but I know I'm supposed to write, so I'll find another way of doing it, and I did. So that's what we did. So the 38 DDD, you're 38 years old and three I was in devastating. Yeah. I, in 2017, yes. Yeah, that was six years ago, so I'm 44 now. But at the time when, I, when all the third one happened, I was, I was 38 and had already been and still am disability from birth as we've talked about and then when i was 26 and 05 i had a divorce that was fun not <laughs> no one says divorce is fun uh it might be liberating but it ain't fun <laughs> um depending on your story and then in 2017 mm. i the after i'd gotten divorced in 05 i remarried and um we had been together for almost two years of dating 10 years of marriage in 2017 until we passed away so death of beloved husband by the age of 38 after being divorced and still being disabled. <laughs> Fun times. Mm. Well, it's nice to be able to laugh about it now. Oh, I'm just trying to, I mean, it's still hard. Don't get me wrong. And, but right. It, it is. But you've got great children from it and, uh, yeah. you're, you're, you know, yeah. And, yeah. and you're, you're born. Yeah. It's, um, it's uh, very inspiring. So if we just kind of go through So in, in 2011, you released Heartfelt Medi Meditations. Yes, that was my first one that I did. 
Yeah, first one. I had I had picked at that one for over ten years because I'd actually started it in high school. But like I said, when I'm in school, I don't really get to write on a regular basis, so I had to pick at it. And mm. then after high school was college, still picking at it. Then I'd gotten married and then got divorced. So then I finished that one up probably while I was getting separated and divorced. And then life kept happening to me and moving on to new chapters and new adventures. And then I finally finished it and got it edited and all the things. And so then I um, got it published in 2011. I went a different way at that point because I didn't know about the things that I use to publish now. So I went through a company that kind of helps you self-publish, but it's mm. not me. It, they're doing it for you and give you a product so it was a little bit different back then but i've moved on to other ways of doing it and then <laughs> at that time in 2011 i thought oh i need to start grad school even though i have an eight month old and yeah publish your book not great timing but that's the way it went so anyway is poetry a large part of your life it was then and at some point i might revisit that because i have other books i feel like i could build out in that series at some point, but I have way long of a po project list that I'm working on right now that I, it is much more of just like, um, I mean, poetry is nonfiction, but more of the style of what I've written in the other series that I've been working on for the last, I don't know, since 2019 when I published my first motherhood book. So I guess the last going on four years coming up, I think in the fall. You can't even keep track. There's so many, Michaela. So in 2019, so that's a full eight years, but you said life kind of happened. In 2019, you have did you take yeah. a sip series. You have uh, Take a Breath and Go, and then you have uh, you know a, a companion book in March of 2020. Talk to me about the process of those two. Well, those were kind of the ideas that came out in grad school and started when I was a, a new mom because we were living in New Hampshire at the time. 26 hours away from most of my friends and family. And so I didn't really have girlfriends like, Oh God, you won't believe what my kid did today. And what do y'all do? You know, all the things that women do. I, I don't know what you dads talk about. Maybe y'all have y'all's own version of that, but us gals, you know, that's how we, whatever. And so I thought, well, the world is half women in the population, give or take. So that means half the world is probably going through this. So I can't be the only one that are having these thoughts and emotions and feelings. So I think I'll write them down. And so mm. I did. And then I thought, well, if I can do it for motherhood, I can do it for faith and religion and I can do it for politics and I can do it about my own life story. Although that takes a little bit, a little bit different of material um, approach. And then I decided after having kids that um, the other series I did, it's not, it's for my children, but it's not, it's not a children's book. It's, Okay, kids, I know mom says everything is really, really super uber, uber important, but when you're 18 and you leave this house, this is what I want you to remember. Take it with you. Because mm. mm. <laughs> parents are always saying everything's important, and you're like, yeah, 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 we heard that you say everything's important, but no, this is what I really want you to remember when you leave my house. And it's in a book, so you can't tell her you don't know about it. <laughs> Noble. Very nice. So you're, you're, you're born in Texas. I believe you go to Oklahoma and then go back to Texas. Is that correct? Uh, it was, I was born in Texas. My family moved to Louisiana in 88. Louisiana. Yes. And I yeah. lived in 80. I lived in Louisiana until 2007 when I moved to New Hampshire. And then I had to come back to Louisiana in 2017. I wish I was in Texas. <laughs> New Hampshire is a big, New England itself is a big difference from Texas and Louisiana. I mean, oh, yeah. without the, no. You've got four seasons. You've got, yeah, you've got just very different. Uh, w without that environment, without that uh, kind of culture there in the Northeast, would you be able to write these two books? Take a sip? Yeah. I mean, I think I would have come up with it anyway, but it may not have come out in the way that I thought it did or, you know, I don't know. I'm sure it would have come in some format. Hmm. And uh, your next one, so right in that same year, so June of 2020, Scripture, Spirituality, and Our Culture, Seeking the Place of Faith and Benefit in Today's Culture. I mean, that's yeah. this is months later, Michaela. Well, you have to remember, I had already written book one and book two, and half of the third one in New Hampshire um, before I moved to Louisiana. So it was already written. I just published uh, it. I see. The book production side of it. And then most of the ideas... 
of all of these series we're talking about, I formulated in grad school. I just couldn't write them and then I organize them and then I'm just slowly picking off project by project by project. So like I'm hoping I'll be relaunching a lot of the first ones this year and then the following month I'll be releasing book two in all these series. I hope this year, except for the political one, because that one will come out in 2024, I think. So anyway, but yeah, so that means hopefully in February I'll be relaunching the first one you just talked about in the religious series and then the second one in that series, The Ripple Effect. So. And is there a specific goal you're trying to you're kind of voicing your opinion like you say you're nonfiction and it's it, these are your feelings but is there something you want the reader to take away with at the end of reading the, these books? I want people to think about things and notice things and kind of open up a dialogue and a conversation about these hard topics and think how it might could apply to them and what they can learn from and use it in their life, at least in that series. Same for motherhood and definitely for politics. But the other series like parenting and my life story one, I want to help people really be intentional about what we're teaching our kids. And then maybe in my life story one, okay, if she did it, then maybe we can do it too and help them understand what it takes to overcome. Hmm. And again, in 20, yeah, you could tell, you could tell you're trying to strike, you're trying to strike more, you know, more inquisitive, more, more conversation. And then again, in in August of 2020, living at, living the beach life, lessons learned, surfing the ways of the sun. And and again, in 2020, again, September, a month later, before the clock strikes midnight, I mean, this is pouring out so much material in, in, in 2020 just the way it went the way the production went i was able to get them published so and then 20 and 21 you say we are we the people so this is where you're getting kind of in the political stuff here correct yeah i wanted that one to come out in november of 2020 for the election but it didn't happen so that's okay my perfectionist feathers got over it so it was a little delayed but at least it's out and then that's why i want to keep that series more around the election cycle of our country so yeah the people and the idea there is you wanted to have it around election time to help uh help voters with perspective yeah and understanding i don't know where your audience comes down on topics or you do necessarily and we may be on the same side we may be opposite but that's not even the point i have a love for this country and our system of government and whether people like it or don't like it you have to understand what it is in order to appreciate it and know what it is that you want to change and then change it the correct way. I mean, you're not going to play football or baseball or basketball and get on that field or that court and play the game. Or if you want to play it well, you're going to have to play it by the rules or they're going to eject you or you're going to get fouled or you're going to get, you know, whatever sport we're talking about, a penalty or something or a flag on the play, you're not going to be able to play it well. And so we can't run this country or really appreciate what this country is supposed to be about if we don't understand the rules. You may not like the rules, but at least you need to understand and appreciate them, and then you can figure out what to do about them. So. Hmm. And what if there's those that want to change the rules? Well, then understand them first and learn how to turn, change them correctly. Uh-huh. In the format in which it was set up to change them. Very interesting. And then again in 2021, you're pouring out more. Uh, now I see, right? Now I see, which is actually very interesting, of course, given your, your condition, uh, a, a lifetime of learned truths along my journey through life. And then months later, take a double shot, take two breaths, ready, set, go. Now I see came out of the fact that now, in fact, I do see when I didn't when I was born. But then it's also mm. on the deeper level of okay, what do I see in life now because of what those experiences have taught me and the lessons learned? So, hmm. Is it more difficult to write fiction or nonfiction? I don't write fiction because I'm smart enough to know my brain doesn't work that way. So I would argue that it would be harder to write fiction for me. But just as people say mm. to me, oh my God, I can't believe you can write all this stuff. That must be so hard. To me, it's just who I am. It's what I do. It flows out of me. So I'm quite sure, even though there are probably challenges in writing fiction, 
a fictitious author who's good at what they do, meaning someone who writes fiction, I should have said a fiction author, not fictitious author, um, would probably think it's just natural. It just flows out of me. It's just how their mind works. So I don't know. Have you ever written anything you... I'm sorry? I would think writing fiction would be very challenging because that's not easy for me. My brain doesn't work that way. I, I think it's fascinating. I respect it. I just know that's not what I'm supposed to write because my brain doesn't think that way. <laughs> you don't think like, you'll well, ever write fiction? I might have one in me, but that's going to be a long time because I have too much other stuff to do right now. <laughs> hmm. Have you ever written anything that you regret you, you submitted to paper? No, not really. I write what I love and what I'm passionate about and what interests me. And that makes it easier to write too, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever do you ever suffer with the blank page? Yes, it's agonizing, but I've learned tricks of the trade that work for me. So yes, that is very frustrating, trust me. Is it really? So uh, I would think with all this uh, backlog of, of books you have ready to go that, that you would just trudge right through it, but the blank page does intimidate you. What do you do with it? It's more of, it's sometimes, even though I know the ideas, I can't speak for every author, but in my case, I know that sometimes it's just getting started and formulating that exact right first sentence to start the introduction. And then after that, usually when I have the introduction done, it's downhill from there for me because a true introduction sets you up for the rest of the piece you're writing. Cause it's just explaining where you're going. But if I ever do get stuck or for some reason, the creative juices and energy is not flowing very well that day, I usually just, okay, okay, let's just stop. Let's take a breath. Literally. Maybe I listen to music and just decompress. Maybe I go, I don't run, but if I was on a treadmill or go to the gym or something and just like clear my head and get all the out of the way and just let the free flow thought come back in and like, oh, now I know what to do and then I can go right. That's just my process. I'm sure there's other authors that would have a different approach, but that is my process. So, And has that process changed from the your first book? No, not really. Whenever I get stuck, that's what I do. And with your political stuff, do you ever get pushback from opposing views? I'm sure I will at some point once it gets more um, probably known, but I haven't had that problem yet. But I'm working I'm working on getting it out there more. I don't want to be the author in the forest, per se, as I like to say. And that's a very interesting point. Like, What, do, what would you do with somebody with an opposing view like that? I guess it all depends on, on, on how they mannered it, if they were a troll or not. They, it's a free country. That's the whole point and the beauty of America. They're entitled to their opinion as much as I am. Now, if you want to have a serious, actual, real debate about let's debate the points, okay, let's go. But they have as much right to say what they want as I do. And Michaela, how has motherhood changed what you write? It gave me a whole. It gave me two whole series for one thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. It certainly whole has. Series. Would you have been? Uh, I don't know how to word this, but the thirty-eight, the thirty-eight years old, you had the three D's: of divorce, to the death, of course, and the the disability as as. Uh, which you were born with, I mean, does that that does that fuel your your inspiration to write as well? The anger, the the negative from I that. No one told me you need to write. I think it was something told me when I was a kid that you know you're different. You may not have the same opportunities as everyone else, but they can't take your words and they can't take your voice. Hmm. It's always mine. They can't control that. I can't deny you that because as long as I'm able to have my mind and write, I can write as whatever I want. And I think that's why it works for me. Is that why you do it? You want to be heard? It's part of it and I feel like I have something to say and I feel like with the material that I write now, I maybe I can help someone or empower someone and with whatever they're going through. I do know if this. I, that- go ahead. There's an expression Please. that says it doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Well, there's an author version yeah. of that. What 
feel like it gives you something to write about. And Lord knows I have a lot to write about. So <laughs> <laughs> there's lots of pages and chapters to be filled. <laughs> if I, if I made you, uh, you know, the, the owner, the CEO of the largest publishing, I don't even know who they are at this point, largest publishing house in the world. What would you do differently in the whole book industry? What would you do differently as an author? That's a very different ballgame because then you're in charge of all of it and you're not just accounting for your voice. You're accounting for, I would imagine, any reputable publishing house would have a wide range on their client or author roster with a variety of topics and subjects and genres. So each one of those genres is going to have a different slant and each voice within that is going to have a different purpose behind it. So you have to be willing to work and do all of that and then also meet the market and what the market's craving. And I don't have to make those decisions as an author. So I don't know how I would run all that. And I don't really want to. <laughs> so you don't, you don't, you don't have anger towards the publishing industry. They're just a business. They're trying to make money and that's it. Mm -hmm. I found my own way and that's okay. I've done that most of my life. But joining a publishing house would get you more visibility, but you'd have to give up a lot on the back end, but you'd prefer obviously to do it this way. Yes, I do. And I know there's benefits to the uh, traditional publishing world. A lot of I've heard in the communities I've been in that as you get established as a self-publishing author, sometimes opportunities from the traditional publishing world can come your way and that gives you advantages. And then that might work for that person at that time. And if so, then pursue it. But I'm not in that place. So if that ever did happen, then I would consider the pros and cons and see what I want to do and trying to make an informed decision. Mm. You don't have any audiobooks. I want to, though. That's very important to me. I'm trying to work on that right now. It's extremely important because it's literally academically and pleasurably how I take in material and content and learning. And so I value it immensely because it allows me to do what I do. But it's also regardless of someone's own background, whether they're in my position or not. I just think with our world as busy as it is, it's a lot easier to listen to an audiobook either because you're vacationing and traveling or you're on a plane or you're commuting all the time. And it's just easy to get it in your day when you can play it while you're doing other things. So I see immense value and I really hope to finally get an audiobook out in the near future. I'm trying to work on that part. It's more involved than just writing, but I'd like to think, and my dream would be to have all of my books in audio at some point, but that is quite a different process altogether. Yeah. I consume most of the books I read mm -hmm. or listen to uh, through audio. I just, I just, you know, I just put it in my ears and uh, I, I prefer that. I would assume that you do that as well. Yeah. I either like have someone read to me or I listen to audio. I have to be, it's not because I don't love books or learning or material. I have to be extremely dedicated and determined if I'm going to physically hold a book in my hand and actually physically read it with my eyes because it just doesn't work as well. <laughs> it takes me <laughs> way longer. So not really fun at that point. Right. Michaela, do you have other artistic outlets? Eh, not really. I'm mainly a writer. I make you said, eh, there's a... I mean, I, write, I make back Christmas for my friends, but that's really uh, the... Yeah. And... When you're in writing mode, I think you, you you mentioned it before. Where you don't you don't do an actual word count. You do more of kind of you do more of chapter by the time by yeah chapter by chapter. That's the way you do it. And your editing process, you say you you do outsource that because you're a terrible editor. I think you mentioned once. Oh yeah. Okay. I hate editing. I hate cleaning house. I'd rather clean house than edit. I'm like, nope. That there's a reason why there's spell check and grammar check and Hemingway and Grammarly and all those wonderful, amazing things. Thank God. And editors, they get they get paid to do that, and I get to go do things that I prefer and I'm better at. I don't have to spend my time doing that. It's called delegation. People. Do you ever clash with it? <laughs> yeah, delegate it. Yeah. Do you ever clash with the editor? Not really. They're doing their job. And I do my job and I learned a long time ago, there's a difference between having someone try and tell you what to do with your voice 
versus when they're giving constructive criticism to improve it so that it's communicated in the best mm. way possible to reach your audience. And as long as it's protecting my voice, but yet mastering the craft to make it sound well and communicating through print or whatever, audio or whatever, you know, with structure and grammar and all the things that I don't want to have to think about, I'm good with that. I need to learn how to improve mm. on those things and constructive criticism that's going to help it be better to reach more people than I'm all for, but still protect your voice, which I do. So, Have you ever considered being a ghostwriter? Has anybody no. approached you? I don't think would I would. Would you consider it? I would have to be an interesting project because I, for one, I have enough of my own writing to do. And second of all, if I do the work, I want my name on it <laughs> mm. because it's my work. Now, granted, at ghostwriting, you're writing someone else's story, so their name should be on it. But I've always felt like, and I'm sure it serves a purpose, but I always felt like if I'm going to take the time to write it, then my name should be on it <laughs> for whatever reason. And yeah, I, 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 I always wonder about that profession, about ghostwriting. So, so there's these writers that just help or write, things for people. That's their whole job. It's very interesting. I, it's, it takes a lot for me to write. I'm a much better speaker than I am writer. I have to kind of outline things. And then what was the old uh, Mark Twain quote when he wrote a letter to his sister? He said, I'm sorry, it's so long. I didn't have time to shorten it up or something like that. You know, uh, So I find that writing is just so time intensive for me, just constantly editing and cutting it down and uh, making it perfect just takes so much time. But you don't do editing. Well, two things. One, I don't believe in editing while you're writing. I feel like that doesn't work as well as the free flow, flat, creative thought of just letting it be what it needs to be. And then you can go back and fix it. Because I almost feel like if you're always correcting as you're going, it's like you're telling your creative brain, no, 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 we can't do this. No, 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 don't write that. And it's like it might stop the creative flow. You can always fix it later. I would rather just let it flow out the way it's supposed to and see what it creates and then fix it. But then second of all, I just, I don't do editing. I'm not good at it and it takes too long. So I'm like, now I do know a lot of authors, a way that they speed up the process, they'll speak their books, like they'll dictate them and mm. then transcribe them. So a lot of people, a matter of fact, the organization that helped me self-publish, that's what they teach to do. You can, write a book a lot quicker if you'll speak it and transcribe it instead of actually doing what I do and just plug it out on the keyboard, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's a great process. If that's how your mind works, mine does better when I'm actually thinking it through as I'm typing it. So I choose to do it that way. I could do the other, but I don't think I get what I want out as well as if I would just actually clunk it out or plug it out on the keyboard like I do. So I choose to do it that way. Yes, it takes me longer, but I like, that's how that works better for my process. But a lot of people do that and speed up the process, like you said. They speak their books and then transcribe them and then put them into a, a doc or whatever to make a manuscript out of it. Writing fascinates me. It's uh, it's it's so difficult. It comes so unnaturally for me. I have such great envy and respect for uh, authors like yourself. So on the podcast, Michaela, we talk. I always bring up discipline. I started my business uh, and I gained a lot of weight. People ask me how I lost it. The doctor said, I'm not going to see my daughter graduate if I don't you know, lose weight. And I got, I got to a very heavy level and uh, I lost a bunch of it. And they asked me how I did. I always say discipline. I just got focused. I got discipline. I, I wonder how discipline plays a role in your life. Uh, very disciplined. I mean, well, I would like to tell you something first before you approach this because this thought to me, should you ever choose to write a book? Here's a good way to think about it. You like to speak. Yes. I do. Okay. Have you ever given like a keynote speech? Many times. Okay. How did you do? How did you create that talk? How did I create it? I outlined it in, in, in PowerPoint. Yeah. Take that outline of a speech. You have an outline for a book. And then what you may speak on in a talk for like five minutes or whatever, you just add to it. And make a little bit longer for a chapter. So let's say your anyone's keynote speech has, I don't know, three sections. Okay. Because they all say three points. Okay. So that might be your three section of your books. 
but you don't just talk about one thing in that section. You might have three other subpoints, right? So then there's your three chapters of each section. You have nine chapters. Same concept. You Sounds just build them so out. simple. It's just a way of thinking about hmm. it. So if you ever did want to entertain it, you're doing the same thing that you're doing in a talk. You're just making a little bit longer and then letting that be your guide for creating your content and your outline and your mind map, as some people call it, for the structure of your book. But when I speak, I can use inflection. And, you know, my father's Italian. I use a lot of hand gestures, right? I can slow and I can speed. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm just unfamiliar with the tools, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh... And I can just kind of think, I don't know. It's just, it's just, it takes a lot for me to write. Yeah. Me specifically, not for you though. I'd assume that you're a better writer than you are speak. Do you, have you ever given keynotes? Do you publicly speak? No, but I want to, I've built out my keynote and I'm, I've been working on trying to get a TEDx talk because I like to oh. talk. I did speech and drama in high school and middle school for six years. So I'm not afraid to talk in front of people. I don't know if that's obvious. No, not me. I'm very shy. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> and I'm trying to create a live event right now with a group of a collective that we're working on. And I would love to get into paid speaking. I don't have a problem doing it. Hmm. Very that, interesting. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you consider yourself funny. disciplined? Yes, I do. I mean, I'm, we're not perfect. I probably have, you know, yeah, I think I'm going to do this today. But generally speaking, yes, because I have goals. I want to accomplish them. I, unfortunately, in writing or any creative endeavor, the wonderful muse of inspiration does not always come every day. And if you wait for that, mm. you're going to be waiting a long ass time for you to get mm. inspired to write every day. So you just have to decide. I don't know who said it, but there is a quote about writing. The art of writing is applying the ass to the seat. That means you have mm. to be discipline and commit to it like if you want to do this then you need to come up with a plan and make time for it like you do everything else we do what's important to us if we want to go work on our diet then we're gonna it's gonna be important just to make better choices if we want to lose weight we're gonna take time to go to the gym or whatever that system is for you or that discipline is same for me i want this book done so i know now i don't during the summer as much because my kids are home all the time and i'm a mom first and so but I make it where I get most of my content written during the school year. And then um, during the summer, I do other things related to the books. And as they get older, that'll probably shift. But for right now, that's what works for me. So Monday through Friday, or at least four days a week, if I don't have an early morning meeting like I did today, by 9, 9.30, I have woken up. I've gotten the kids out the door. I've done whatever I need to do for me, whether it's meditation or my quiet time or whatever. I've had breakfast. I'm 9, 9, 30, 10. It's writing time. I don't care that the dishes have to be done. I don't care that the laundry has to be done. Now, that's not to say that my kids don't get laundry done. But during those two to three hours, that's all that matters. The dishes will wait. The laundry will wait, unfortunately. I wish that was not the case. And there was some fairy godmother that was making the writing, the dishes getting done, and the laundry getting done while I'm writing. But I promise Mm. you. It ain't going nowhere. The dishes will mm. not disappear and they're so they can wait two hours or three hours where I get my content done for that day. And then I take a break because my eyes are mad at me. They're like, woman, you have lost your mind if you're going to make us write anymore or work anymore right now. So then I take my break, give my eyes times to rest, and then I go do my chores and the other things I need to do. And then I might write or do other visual work later. It's discipline. Hmm. That may being for everyone like someone else who writes may have just their one writing day a week. Okay, that's fine. Or it may be 30 minutes. When I was in grad school, I didn't write all day. I didn't write at all except for the professors. But when I got out of grad school, I had a daughter in elementary school and a toddler preschooler at home. So I didn't spend all day doing it. I took nap time and night time. But every day during nap time, I was trying to write at least one chapter a day. That was my writing time. I did other stuff Mm. during other times when either I didn't have the quiet to write or when my eyes were exhausted and didn't want to do visual work. So I shifted it. That's why I prefer to write in the morning because my eyes haven't been being used all day doing all the things in the world. So I let my writing time, even with podcast interviews, generally speaking, I don't interview during the morning time. I reserve that for the afternoons. 
because I don't need to write in the afternoons. I need to write in the morning. I don't care if my eyes are tired when I'm talking. I'm not using them. It doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with the other. <laughs> so I write Monday through Friday or at least four days a week as much as possible from about 9.30, 10 at the latest for a couple hours. And then I do on, go on and do my other things during the day. Discipline. That's yeah. whatever time you have. If you want to be a writer, you have to come up with a system, no matter how short or how long, that you shut the world out. You ignore all the other things that during that writing time, that's not to say those other things aren't important, but I promise you, you can get to them later when you're done writing. If you really want to write an athlete, whatever sport they want to learn and do professionally, they're not going to put other things before their training or whatever it is. They're going to do that first, or that's going to be a major part of their day. Then when that time is done, they'll do all the other things. Writing's the same way. So, I don't, if you're a songwriter, you're going to make sure you get your music written. Whatever your thing is, you're going to be, give that first priority or pretty close on the top of your list in your day that you put your time on. That, for me, is writing. During the mornings, I write. Then I go on and do other things. And I promise you, they're still here when I get done writing. Hmm. <laughs> Has... Being legally blind, has that forced you to be disciplined in other areas? Has, has that shifted you? Yes, I've always had to be disciplined. I don't like procrastination. I don't like chaos. I don't know if I would be this way anyway, but I've always hmm. had to do things very specifically, not because I necessarily care in and of myself, but in order to get all this stuff done that everyone goes like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you did that. Well, it didn't happen by itself. It didn't happen overnight. I didn't have that fairy godmother wand, okay? There was no sprinkle fairy dust. I worked at that. And I put in the time and the energy and the effort. Now, one of the key components of what's going on with my eyes is it takes me really long time to do that stuff. So I have to be disciplined and very organized and very structured to make sure that I've accounted for the time that it takes to ensure that it's complete. So, yes, I'm big on that. Yes, you are. Michaela S. Cox, what motivates you? In writing and life, in what sense? You pick one. <laughs> and writing because I care about it and I'm passionate and I feel called to do it. In life, it's I'm not going to let the world tell me no. I believe I was taught and raised not to give up, not to quit, um, never stop. And you do the best you can and you figure it out and you keep going. If you can't move the mountain, like my disability is not going anywhere. And that's mm. okay. But I can find ways around it for the most part. There's a few things I'll never be able to do and probably not a good idea. Like I don't drive. That's usually driving and legal blindness is two things that should not go together. <laughs> mm. Okay. That's not smart for anybody. That's a good thing. But I found ways around it. If I can't move that, then I can find things to do otherwise. Like um, Uber or Lyft or friends or I, I pay an assistant and we run errands. So on errand day, I don't generally write that day because I'm taking care of other things. But and that works for me. So there's ways around things if you want to be creative and think outside the box and be resourceful if it matters to you. We all do what matters to us or what's important. And you figure it out. There's the expression of sit back and hold my beer and watch. Well, that's pretty much been my attitude line. I mean, you probably can tell I'm a redhead and I'm obviously a Southern girl, Texas girl, so and a Scorpio. So that's pretty much lives up mm. to its reputation. Um, yeah. Um telling me no pretty much ensures that I'm going to do my damnedest to make it happen. And I believe if you want it done you right, you better do it yourself. Good for you. You mentioned that you were called to do this. Yeah. I feel like I am. God gave you this ability, this skill, and you're using it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's, that's why wonderful. I share my story. That's why I tell my message. It was given for a reason and a purpose, and maybe it can help someone else. I don't want it to be wasted. <laughs> that yeah. would be maddening. And how do you measure success? I think that can be left into interpretation. I think there's the world version of it, like, by metrics of how big is your salary or how big is your bank account or your portfolio or what promotions you got or whatever, which are great. But I think there's other successes that can be measured just as well. Are you contributing? Are you 
um, providing, love you too, providing good in the world and trying to make it a better place and influence and change it and, you know, what makes you happy in life that may not be someone else's success, but if you're happy and you're doing what you were put on this earth to do, whatever that looks like for you, then that may be your version of success. Um, some days in the journey that I've been traveling over the last almost six years, the fact that I'm just still standing and doing the best I can, that is considered a win because it's not been an easy journey. Mm. And then there's some days where I managed to get a lot more done. I'm like, heck yeah, man, I'm rocking it. Let's take that. You know, that's a win. So wins, what looks like one win one day and another win another day can be totally different things. It depends on your definition and interpretation. You have a wonderful spirit, Michaela, and you, you have a light about you. And I was very excited when uh, you accepted this, and I was excited to talk to you. And thank you so much for your time today. Anybody who's listening, who how can they get in touch with you? Uh, all of my books are on Amazon, and I have a website, and I'm on Facebook. But if you go to my website, myheartfeltmeditations.com, you can see all the things that are where my stuff's at. And I really appreciate your most kind and gracious words and for this opportunity to share and hopefully instill some nuggets of gold with your audience and something that can give value and contribute. Well, you've been absolutely wonderful. I love talking to you. My heartfelt meditations, plural, go there to the website. I'll put, uh, my team will put links in the show notes. Uh, you're also on Instagram. Uh, now I see 779. Is that correct? Yes. And I'm on Facebook ah. and other things. Yeah. I'm just the best at 779. I try. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it uh it takes a lot of effort. Michaela, thank you so much. I wish you the best of luck. I can't wait to see your your new stuff when it comes out. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it and uh you be well. You as well and thank you again. Hope to connect again later. You be well. Bye now. Thank you for listening and or viewing Joey Pinn's Discipline Conversations. Please share this episode with one or two of your friends who you think may benefit from the episode. Our website, www.joeypins.com. There you find lots of resources and you could join our mailing list. Please follow us on all our social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Podcast information, the video version of our podcast is on YouTube. Please subscribe. Audio is on all major podcasting platforms. Please follow them. And if you like it, please consider giving five-star rating. Would really appreciate that. Would you like to financially support the podcast? You can go to our Patreon site. Consider $5, 10 or $20 a month. There's all kind of plans that we have there. It's like a one-time payment. What is this podcast episode worth to you? $25, you be the judge. You can go to our PayPal account to do that as well. Thank you again for listening or watching Joey Pinn's Discipline Conversation.